Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode number two of Daffy's Roundtable. My guest today is an animal lover who's worked in almost all the fields in the industry. If the job involves animals, she's probably done it. Everyone, please help me by welcoming Natasha from Red's Fauniverse. Hello, Natasha. How are you? Hi, I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you this evening? I'm doing great. Thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. For sure. Um, okay, I'm going to get right into it. Um, can you let everyone know how did you get into keeping reptiles and like working with animals in general? Yeah, sure. So um, with the reptiles and working with animals in general, I've always been an animal lover and so is my mother. Um, you know, as a child, I was bullied a lot and didn't have a lot of friends. So I spent a lot of time with animals and uh, learning about them and playing with them and stuff. And um, as I got older, um, my mom kind of forced me to volunteer at this animal education place um, and said, like, you know, you love animals. Why aren't you doing this? And I'm like, right. I have all my volunteer hours. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> she said, just do it. You know, it'll be nice for you. So I went and did it. And uh, they ended up hiring me as kind of like their cage cleaner. So I worked alone in like a basement um, where they had all kinds of little critters that they would take out for educational programs and parties and all that kind of stuff. And then after a while, the business closed down after I worked for it for three years. And then a lot of that business transferred over to the zoo that I um, have worked for for quite a, uh, some time now. So um, that's how I got into zookeeping. And it's just kind of, you know, branched out from here to there all over the place. Um, when I was looking for a new job, actually, after I lost my first animal job, but that's when I found the vet job. And then I uh, started working at the vet. And then I would do the zookeeping job um, kind of uh, sort of seasonally. So okay, I would yeah. work uh, in the winter time, a little bit into the spring with the zoo. And then in the summertime, I would uh, work with the vet and sometimes with the zoo. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. And then, uh, and all this was before you started working at the pet store? Yeah, that was all before I started working at the uh, reptile store. Awesome. And are most of your customers like hobbyists and breeders or is it a lot of families with children and people just looking to get into the hobby? I would say it's a mix of everybody, but for the most part, awesome. I know that we do cater to a lot of people looking for their first pet reptile. So we have a lot of beginner pet reptiles like leopard geckos and crested geckos and bearded dragons. And we have some other stuff as well that comes in that's more high end. But for the most part, we do try to cater towards uh, people just getting into the hobby. And then we supply people who are uh, already hobbyists and uh, sure. advanced into the reptile hobby. And then there's a few breeders here and there as well that uh, like some discounts. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's probably where uh, more of the rarer reptiles uh, are being sold as well. Right? Yeah. Sometimes we like yeah. to bring in others of the more high end stuff and something that's a little more fancy to bring uh, sure. people's eyes to the store. And uh, Definitely. yeah. Definitely. Now you have to. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And then, so on that on that point, what would you recommend for a beginner as like a low maintenance, good to get into the hobby um, pet? My favorite personal beginner pet reptile for anybody is the crested gecko. Yes. Okay. I was hoping you'd say that. Mine too. Uh, Mine too. They are the best. 
Yeah, yeah. Um, because um, one, I think that kids and families like them because they are really docile and interactive. You know, they climb up you, kids, and for sure, people, even adults, find that quite fascinating. Um, their setup isn't too too complex, as in the sense that you don't need all these fancy lights and heat elements like leather right. geckos or say a bearded dragon would. And they don't actually take up too much space, um, depending on the tank size that you have. Um, they can fit nicely on like a, a bedside table. <laughs> right. <laughs> right no 100 and another thing that I, I i like to point out is they don't require bugs as often as any of the other reptiles so it's for, for parents that that aren't too great uh, big on crickets that's, that's yes that's another big one for sure that i always tell people they're always like i'm not big on the insects and i'm like well you could do the crested gecko still good to give them insects but not as uh often you not know. as often yeah it's more of a treat than a requirement kind of thing mm -hmm. no for sure awesome okay so the, 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 the annoying question, what is the most annoying question that you get asked um, maybe at a like more consistently or, or just that one question that makes you cringe every time you hear it or. Um, do you have baby turtles? Do you <laughs> okay. Why, why? I, I know, I think I know the answer to this, but why does that question uh, annoy you? Um, it is for some reason, the one we get asked the most. Right. And it's the question that I hate the most because usually, unfortunately, it comes from people that don't know what kind of turtle species they're looking for. They know nothing about the turtles. They just think cute small turtles. That's that's all they want. And they don't realize that turtles and tortoises require, you know, extremely specific care requirements. And you can mess it up pretty easily. And a lot of the time when I start telling them this, they, they're like, wow, I didn't know all that. And... Um, for the most part, they're thinking of the red-eared slider turtle when they want a cute small turtle. But as uh, people that are familiar with those uh, guys, <laughs> they don't stay small. And they're they don't stay small. Ontario. Yeah, for sure. No, they get big and they get big fast. And I don't think uh, people realize how fast they grow. It only takes a year or two for them to start uh, putting on on size and you need to upgrade them real quick. Mm -hmm. It's really funny that you bring it up because um, I'm trying to have a video out for this weekend, fingers crossed that I can actually finish it. Fingers crossed. It's, um, a DG review ad video and in it I kind of focus on a section where I do talk about red-eared sliders and the problems that they cause in Ontario and I kind of just focus on that a little bit so it's kind of fun that we're talking about it now. Yeah, that's no, that's awesome. I'm I'm looking forward to it. And if anyone's listening to it, this podcast will probably be out after that video. So go check that video out. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Um, I watched your last video with the glass frog uh, tank, and the water feature was incredible. By the way, very good job on that. Um, but you posted the video around a month ago. Is the water feature still holding up? Yeah, actually, um, it's actually sitting right in front of me, believe it or not, on the desk, because that's where I'm filming. Right, but, yeah. Um, I have actually since moved the frog out of that one and into okay. an enclosure behind me, which you can't really see right now, but it's they're in a uh, 12 by 12 by 18 now. Awesome. Did they get big? Uh, sorry, one more time. Did they get too big for that uh, tank, or...? Um, so I did want to get another one. So okay. for another, for a pair, I would need a bigger size. Okay, so I did move her out of there quite quickly, but she kind of used that as a place to sort of settle in for a while while her other friends sort of settled in in the other uh, 
had her in a little deli for a while quarantining and then they sure. meet together in their nice new big habitat vivarium so that was really nice uh, yeah but uh does the has the water feature uh has, because it's so small i was wondering like is it tough to do water changes on or like how do you do the maintenance on such a small area yeah, so for that, um, I put it in the video a little bit, but um, I actually just use a turkey baster and just right. fill the water with a turkey baster. And yeah. then it like makes the water changes so easy if it's done in like one minute. And I just fill up the water with like the mister behind me when I go around misting everybody. So, right, so I guess it doesn't take too long because it's not too much water. That makes sense. Yeah, and some more awesome. weed is grown in there, and uh, everything's growing in nice. Um, I think I might use it maybe for a mantis or something in the future. Not too sure. That would be really cool. There's some really cool. Uh, I know a lot of them are bylawed here in Ottawa, but there's some really cool species of um, of mantis that I'd like to keep as well. The uh, the orchid one, I think they're called. They're like little pink with uh, looking like they're little flowers in the hands. Those yeah. are really cool. I love those ones the ghost mantises and my absolute favorite is the devil flowers mantis have you ever heard of that one i have not but i'm going to look it up right now oh my god you're going to be blown away um what? devil's flower oh, flower mountain yeah it's it's incredibly insane looking but if i was to keep like a mantis i would keep a chinese mantis because i would want to be able to post it on social media and have it be legal um okay um yeah do you see it i i did i'm actually gonna i just want to make sure that i'm looking up the right one. Oh, cool yeah Yay. you see that like all the way to the left and like the right like yeah that's exactly it real insect <laughs> that is incredible that that's so cool they're they're insane like their wings and like their just their threat display is like insane and the spikes on their hands and the and the colors and everything wow beautiful and, and the other one was chinese mantis you said oh yeah that one's the uh, chinese mantis it's very plain looking oh, okay um, this is like the more common uh looking one yeah, this one's invasive to Canada, so it's the only one that you can legally like kind of keep. So if you find one outside, instead of killing it, you could just bring it. it into the house. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very cool. Um, I'll post those pictures, by the way, in the show notes for anybody that wants to see them. But yeah, that's very cool. I I I really wish we could keep the uh, the devil flower mantis. That's that's something. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can imagine like couple of million years ago with, this, with them being like probably bigger than they are now that that would be something to deal with <laughs> that would be probably insane um i know that i want a tattoo of the devil's flower mantis because i can't keep one but at least maybe i can get like a nice tattoo of one at least I, that would be a really cool tattoo with all, yeah with all the color patterns and spikes no definitely definitely a cool tattoo all right now this is the part i was like really excited for because i've been waiting to ask you about your emerald uh, emerald tree skinks for for a long time are they easy to sex because when like looking at pictures or whatever it just seems like they're all green or <laughs> yeah so um it's actually easy and kind of not easy to sex them so they do kind of all look the same but um there's this specific way of sexing them that's really unique which is the males have this little yellow scale at the bottom of their foot huh. and Very interesting. nobody knows 
why they have that it, it like I'd be really interested to find out why and it seems accurate most of the time um I find that males do tend to be just a little bit bigger and have like a more wider jaw so like I can kind of be like hmm, is this a male pick it up and then see the bottom of the foot and be like yeah this is for sure a male interesting so it's just the males that have that one yellow scale yeah at the bottom of their rear uh back feet that's very very interesting i've yeah like a scale would yeah very interesting and there's no pores in the scale or anything no i i want to know what the purpose of it is so that's how i know i have two males in there and also by watching their behavior and stuff you can tell the males are the ones in the little head bobs and going out okay. females and biting the back of their necks and stuff you know <laughs> very cool so you are seeing breeding behavior are you planning to breed them or hoping to breed them at least I have been very much hoping to breed them and I keep on seeing big, fat, nice bellies that I think uh, they're gravid, but I can't seem to find eggs inside the enclosure. So my two thoughts are either they're eating them, which I know have some keepers have reported. Okay. Or they said that they bury them deep around the plant roots and I'm just like, oh my goodness, I'm never going to find them. You're never going to find them. That's very interesting. Are they uh, live bears? You're sure that they lay eggs or are they, could they be live bears? Yeah, they uh, they lay eggs. It'd be really cool if they were live bears, but these guys uh, that definitely lay some eggs. Um, there's some other keepers and stuff I've spoken to and um, about like incubating the eggs and such. Very cool. Um, I had bronze grass skinks at one point and uh, I, I, I bred them not successfully. The babies hatched and I found the babies and everything, but uh, they died not too long later. But once I was uh, redoing their tank, uh, they had a very thick substrate layer and the eggs were right at the bottom, like pretty much sitting on the glass under like five inches of substrate. So uh, it could very well be that they hit them very well somewhere deep in there. Maybe if they're similar or something. Yeah, they don't, they don't make it easy. Um, it's interesting that you said that because um, my long-tailed grass lizards just laid eggs for me. I like, saw that picture on Instagram. Congrats. Eggs! Yeah. First eggs. So as of right now, I don't have an incubator, but we have one at work. So I'm going to bring the eggs to work or I'm going to make my own incubator, but I'm just going to put my first batch actually in the incubator at work and then try to make one for the next uh, I get. Right, better safe than sorry, no, 100%. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's very interesting. Okay, so so about the training then, how did you, like I, I've been trying to train some of my lizards and I've been working on like target training and bringing them towards me, but it seems from the videos and Instagram that they recognize you really well and they almost want to come out and, and say hi to you and, and, and let you hold them. So how did you reach that stage and how long did it take to reach that stage? Yeah, so these guys are extremely fascinating in terms of their social behavior amongst not okay. just like one another, but with people. Um, so I only have two uh, skinks actually that are friendly and will come out and greet me. Yeah. Out of the group of five? <clears throat> yeah, out of the group okay. of five. The rest of them are really skittish. So it seems like it's kind of like up to the lizard, kind of like if they're comfortable or not. So one day they just jumped out at me and just like hung out on my shoulder. I would say some of it is definitely like food motivational. You know, right. they after a while get used to you and know that you're the source of food. Right. And um, they also learn that you're not like a danger or anything like that. I always recommend to people for your animals to get used to you to 
try to stand in front of the enclosures and such. And I do that a lot. You know, I just sit there and watch my animals. So for like, sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. That for a while. So um, food is definitely a way to encourage them. But ultimately, it seems that it's up to them. And personality wise. Yeah, personality wise. And there's been some reports of um, somebody posted their daughter with like three or four of them all over her and they're all friendly and healthy and running around. I'm like, these are like the next best pet lizard. Like these are incredible. That is very cool. I I, I didn't know that, but now I'm, <laughs> that's even more consideration when you get them. That's very cool. Um, oh, sorry. sorry. No, sorry, go ahead. I just wanted to say that they almost have a monitor like behavior. Like they're kind of, they're smart and they look at you in a way when you like, like either say something or you even look at them, they'll look back at you. If you put them in front of a mirror, they're, they're pretty curious about what's in front of them. Like they seem to recognize that like that's them. It's that it's not like another emerald tree skink or something like that. Like it does, they don't try to fight each other. It's just like, they, they're so what's God. How am I looking today? <laughs> yeah. Very fascinating. That's very cool. And, and how long did you have them before you started seeing, or the for the first time they came out at you? Or uh, um, do you remember? Um, I want to say it took quite a few months. I want to say like six months, maybe. Okay. Started seeing some interactive behavior, and again, it was only one. And I don't think they started interacting with me until I moved them into the big enclosure that I have behind me now. Okay. Um, and I guess uh, when I moved them into there, they really started to settle in and were more comfortable and got used to them. Yeah. Probably realized there's more but we can be out or hide in here, like, mm -hmm. or, or something like that. It's very interesting. I wonder if um, you'll see more of them start to come out over time or once you separate them, if they'll maybe get more used to you. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm hoping is that yeah. I separate them as well, that maybe do more one-on-one -on -one time with uh, each kind of little group that I have. So I'm going to have kind of my most friendly skinks in one tank, and then I'm going to have the skittish ones in the other tank to try to work on them more, you know? Very cool. All right. Are you allowed to uh, disclose the name of the zoo that you worked at? Yeah. So I work for um, a zoo called Little Ray's Nature Center. Um, it's in Ottawa, actually. Um, and there's another, well, there was another location out in Hamilton, but I think, I think that's been closed down because of COVID right now, unfortunately. Um, but Did you work at the Ottawa location? Um, so very strange what I do. So I'm a traveling zookeeper. So cool. I live here in Toronto. I go to Ottawa and then we pack up all the animals from Ottawa and we go traveling across Canada and set up the uh, mobile exhibits and do live presentations and go from town to town and um, lots of fun. And it's definitely really interesting to be able to bring um, this opportunity to like small towns and places that don't have those kinds of zoos and stuff. That is so cool. I did not know that Little Rays did that. So I've been to, I, I live in Ottawa. I've been to Little Rays so many times, but I had no idea that um, that they did that. And when when I, I obviously knew you were working at Little Rays, I just didn't know if we could uh, say it on the call, but I thought, I assumed you worked at the Hamilton location um, because I assumed that was closer to you, but that's really cool. So what kind of, what like, what, uh, is it mostly in Ontario or did you guys leave Ontario as well? Yeah, so for the first little bit, I did Ontario. 
And then after I started doing like the whole tour, so they sent me out all over the place. I went to the East Coast a bunch. I've been to a lot of the provinces. I've been to Nova Scotia. I've been to PEI. I've been to Newfoundland. And it was an amazing opportunity for me. You know, I never traveled before. And then in the summertime, they wanted me to do a Venom tour. So they gave me a bit of Venom training experience along with uh, two other zoo workers. And uh, we kind of traveled around the western part of Canada in Saskatchewan and Alberta. And we did another mobile exhibit, but it was all about Venom. And we had a uh, green mamba. We had a western diamondback. He was a big boy. And then we also had, um, what was the other one? The water moccasin. That one, that one's pretty hefty. <laughs> I think you just made this call like another hour long. <laughs> no, no, no. That's because I have so many questions to ask you now. That is so yeah. cool. No, no that, problem. Uh, okay. Wow. If I knew that, I would have, I would have made this whole, this whole thing about that. That is so cool. So, so do you have, uh, you, you, they made you do your uh, permits for uh, handling venomous snakes then? Yeah, like I don't know how the whole permit stuff works because it's like somebody else that deals with all that sort of stuff. But um, we are like the presenters and like the animal handlers. So we would do presentations at like fairs and festivals that would be going on for the cities in the summer. And um, it was just amazing. We had all kinds of animals as well, like the false water cobra, you know, not entirely venomous, but stuff that was in the exhibit that we could at least talk about, like garter snakes, for example, people don't know that they are very mildly venomous. And uh, it's just interesting things to kind of educate people about. And it was a great opportunity for me to get some venom training experience as well. So Definitely. Two months of venom training experience, but it takes a very, very long time for somebody to actually be fully venom trained. So that's why I say experience. <laughs> experience, right. And then once you are venom trained, are you legally allowed to um, own your own venomous reptiles like in the States or is it just um, you get to work with them at facilities? Yeah, I'm not too sure how it works when it comes okay. to owning them. I definitely feel like that's a whole different ballpark to deal with. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> but um, I guess being able to work at facilities that have them and such, um, like I think Reptilia had or has some venomous. I believe they still do have some, yes. And I think they did also try to venom train their staff as well or some of them and such, and they tried to do it in like a year. and. Um, it was just it was still apparently too short of a time to train people. But I was like, wow, it apparently takes just a really long time to venom train someone. I mean, it makes sense, right? It's uh, one bite is can be fatal with the with working. It depends on the species you're working with. But some of those some of those can be pretty bad. That is so cool. <laughs> I am mind blown right now that 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 a that, that there's such a thing as traveling zookeeper and uh, be that they give you these opportunities like they put you on the venom tour or um and all that that's that's wow very cool i may i might need to apply to little rays next <laughs> i mean they're they're a great place to just even volunteer at or work for you know like they always need extra hands if like you even have like families like young children go visit or volunteer i know right now is like covid so i don't know how much is going on there with that but um, i think they're still closed right now sorry but yeah i think they're still closed right now yeah they're still closed i believe so you mentioned that you started working with them as a volunteer then yeah so um after the old little company that was just in scarborough that i worked for closed down 
um, a lot of the animals went to uh, the race. Okay. And um, she also kind of referred some of her workers, but it was only me and one other girl that were kind of really interested in wanting to work for Little Rays. So um, I unfortunately actually was stuck in school for the longest time. Okay. I was in art school. Um, I went to OCAD University and I was in uh, illustration program. And um, I saw my coworker that I worked with previously do the whole traveling, going traveling. from like Alberta to the East Coast, to the Newfoundland. I was like, wow, I want to do that. So I just started with a few events volunteering with Little Rays just within Ontario, some events that were near me. And then um, eventually um, one of the uh, senior staff members, you know, I was like, you know, I really want to do this. Like, I want to go on a full tour. Like, I was like begging him. And um, eventually um, he put me on a, a team and I ended up doing like a full tour and they kept wanting me back again. And, you know, I got along with everybody and it was so pleasant meeting all these like new people that are just so lovely and intelligent and come from so many different backgrounds. It was just an amazing experience is all I can say. So um, does the zoo, does Little Rays have any breeding programs? Um, do they, are they uh, allowed to do anything for conservation? Like are they allowed to breathe and release? I know we only have a very limited amount of native uh, uh, reptiles here anyway but are they allowed to um get involved in any of those breeding pro programs or is it because i believe a lot of them are uh rescues if i'm not mistaken is that prevent them from uh getting involved yeah so little rays is a like casa accredited casa accredited zoo so that's the canadian sure. uh, aquarium zoo association i always get the order mixed up the canadian Association for Zoos and Aquariums. Aquariums, yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, Little Rays has done definitely tons of conservation work um, in like rescuing and seizing animals and rehoming them to other zoos and other places um, that can take them because unfortunately the zoo can't take everything, right? For sure, yeah. But they do the work and the effort to try to find homes for a lot of these animals. We take in a lot of them ourselves. Um, Little Rays prides itself on being Canada's largest exotic animal rescue. So a lot of the animals are rescues. Um, last time when I was working with Little Rays, um, they were working alongside with Bear. So I'm looking at it right here because I can't remember it off the top of my head. But You said Fair? Yeah, FAIR, which is um, actually an acronym. So FAIR is uh, Little Race Foundation for Animal Rescue and Education. It's Very a cool. a Canadian nonprofit organization that supports and funds Canada's largest animal rescue. And we've done um, other types of work as well. Um, like I think they, what was it? The Big Headed Turtle, I think we did something for in like another country. Um, something about the Indian star. I'm not entirely involved in those kind of conservation projects, which sure. I'd love to be, but um, they were busy sending me off, you know, different provinces. <laughs> <laughs> busy, travel, busy, busy being a traveling zookeeper. Yeah, but um, Little Ray's 100%, even if I'm like not 100% aware of it and can speak about it, does a lot of conservation work just Go look it up yourself you can see all that the things they've done in the past and currently as well 
Very cool. Yeah, I, I do remember them having, um, you mentioned fair. I do remember reading something about it while I was at the the place, which is actually why I asked, because I, I did know that they had something with conservation. I just wasn't sure exactly what. Um, you said Indian Star. Are you referring to the Indian Star tortoise? Yeah. Yeah, okay, very cool. Actually, one of my favorite uh, tortoise. The patterns is one of my favorites of all the tortoises. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. They're beautiful. I have been able to work alongside with them, which is really amazing. Um, it was one of the first uh, animals I remember one time. I wasn't aware that it was a very rare tortoise because my boss had it at my first animal job. And I asked her, what's your most like expensive animal here? And she goes, that tortoise. That tortoise. <laughs> that tortoise. <laughs> that thing over there. <laughs> it was basically like a uh, Yeah. <laughs> it was <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so with the traveling tour, sorry, I, I keep going back to it. It's just, it's oh, so, with the traveling tour. Uh, there was a time where I remember there was a sloth going around. Were you on that tour? I was known as the sloth girl for the longest time. I have so many pictures of me in that sloth. You're in that sloth? Okay. For the longest time, um, I was the main handler and the main caregiver for the sloth. Um, mostly because me and the sloth were able to cohab together. I like it really hot and so does the sloth. Okay. Um, we were able to have it, um, like a setup at nighttime in our hotel rooms if need be, um, before we have the, it's full setup for the event done. We would have them in our hotel rooms and we would have a temporary setup for him. And, um, I would be able to handle the temperatures he can handle because I like it like a sauna in my hotel rooms. So <laughs> you had the sloth in your room. Oh yeah. Th those are some good times. Uh, most people really did not want the sloth in their room because they knew that if they had the sloth in their room, they would have to turn the heat up and everybody, I guess, was extremely heat intolerant. Meanwhile, okay. I'm, like the opposite where I'm like, I can't handle the coat cold it has to be like 25 plus degrees at all times okay yeah i also can't handle the cold that's very cool that's very cool <laughs> that was fun i'd go into elevators and people i guess that would go to our events were sometimes staying in the hotels that um we were also staying in because they would be there for other events and stuff and they would okay. go in the hotel and they'd be like you're the sloth girl and I'll <laughs> hey <laughs> what's <laughs> up <laughs> that's awesome at least you can now say that you had a sloth as a roommate. Yeah, I've had a few interesting roommates then, if you want to put it that way. Yeah? yeah. Did you have to keep the vultures in your room as well? Um, I've had an owl as a roommate. I've had a monitor as a roommate. I feel like I've had an alligator as a roommate, probably. Very cool. <laughs> no clue. <laughs> Very cool. Was it hard to carry all these big animals around? Yeah, so we would have these giant massive kind of like cargo vans where the animals, um, it's uh, where they would uh, be held as we're driving. Um, they're inappropriate carriers, kind of like as you would a car seat it's for their own safety as we're on the road. Um, some of the bigger, bigger. Bigger. <laughs> some of the bigger animals yeah they're a little bit more hard to uh, accommodate like for example the alligator um, yeah. you would have to fill up a giant basin of water for it every time we got to a new city you know it's an alligator yeah. it needs this water then just every animal had its own care requirement and setup and everything that needed done you know we traveled with um <clears throat> alligators and lemurs and owls and vultures and sloths and reptiles of all kind you know 
whole bunch of crazy stuff going there. It's a zoo. <laughs> yeah, literally a zoo on the road. That's very cool. One more question about the zoo. Yeah. Um, so zoos usually have a pretty bad reputation because everyone has that image of the giant tiger in an empty cage behind like bars. Um, so I know this isn't the case with Little Rays, but what would you say to people who are against all zoos in general? So for that, I would have to say that's a very black and white way of thinking. Um, and I don't think that's right because nobody says all daycares are bad right just because there's a few bad daycares out there doesn't mean that all daycares are bad or all daycare providers are bad um so that's what i have to say usually to that kind of start putting things into a little bit perspective and then i'll go into saying you know zoos have come a very long way from what they used to be you know in the past there was a lot of cool practices that are done but now a lot of zoos good zoos are accredited they're run by uh, scientists and veterinarians and knowledgeable educated people of all kinds and um, the amount of work that goes into the care for these animals is above and beyond some of these animals eat better than us <laughs> it's it's i think a lot of 100 can like relate to that that sometimes our animals get better fed than us i mine definitely do <laughs> Yeah, and, yeah. Um, all that kind of stuff. So I think that people need to do their research and look into the zoos that are good and support those good zoos. And um, hopefully people will start to realize and keep supporting those good zoos and those bad zoos will start to, you know, disappear after some time. No, 100%. I mean, there's a big difference between like a Tiger King Zoo and a Little Ray Zoo, right? And then I think people have to, <laughs> and then people also have to, I guess, realize that uh, a lot of a lot of species would be extinct right now if it wasn't for the breeding programs that we have going on in zoos. So like the Toronto Zoo with their uh, rhino breeding program, it's a, it's a huge step. And uh, the Dallas Zoo with the horned uh, lizard breeding program. Those are big things that uh, with this species probably wouldn't be around without those zoos. So I 110% agree with everything you just said. And um, just for the record, those are called um, SSP programs. So they're called species survival plans. Beautiful. I did not know that. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Species survival plans. I like that. Okay. SSP programs. You can look them up and see kind of like what zoos are part of them and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so that's, I guess, I guess, another good indicator on, on finding out good zoo or bad zoo. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Although it doesn't just stop at that. A lot of zoos that are not, that don't have SSP programs are still very good zoos and are taking very good care of their animals. So, um, mm -hmm. no, I agree with you. It is very, very, definitely very black and white. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a gray area or there's, you know, different perspective to, to try to look at. For <clears throat> sure. What's the next species on your bucket list? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know this is always a scary question to answer. I don't know if also if you're if you if you don't want to reveal that over here, that's completely okay. I understand. No, I'm actually <laughs> really excited to talk about. So okay, then. My my crazy self has decided to get the rarest of the rare. Okay. I have been slowly paying off um, a captive bred Egyptian tortoise. Beautiful. <laughs> beautiful how big do those guys get they only get about uh three to four inches long sometimes five but for the most part they only get three to four inches long and they're very rare in the wild and in captivity 
unfortunately in the wild um they are going extinct or at risk and that's right. to do with habitat destruction and the pet trade and that's why i was like dead set on finding a breeder here in canada that was captive breeding them and for some reason it wasn't that hard i just like googled like egyptian tortoise breeder canada and yeah, it popped up it popped up and i found this guy who ended up knowing my boss from the zoo they were mutual friends and you know i messaged him and i was like hey like it's you know we have mutual friends not that that matters but like i'm just interested in one of your little baby torts and that's awesome yeah so i'm uh slowly paying him off and i'm hoping he will come in the end of june or july is that um is that probably the best temperature to ship them in where's he where's he based out of so right now he's currently in montreal okay cool so he's more closer to you than he is to me right now yeah, yeah. um but uh he's um out in montreal so that's why i was saying earlier i don't know if i'm gonna make a trip out there sometime out. when in the summer to go pick him up when he's finally all paid off but i also am getting some money for my birthday coming up mid-june so i'm using that nice. money to get a whole like see this blank space behind me needs a new rock huh <laughs> blank we're putting a whole four foot shelving rack there <laughs> amazing so you know what that means so um there's gonna be a new shelving rack and then we're gonna set up the tortoise uh enclosure and then um pay off the rest of the tortoise and then pick them up awesome congrats that's that's very cool Thanks. and if you i mean if you do end up making a trip out there there's a lot of cool pet stores uh reptile stores in uh montreal as well oh hopefully they're open <laughs> yeah i think they're already open actually they're not in lockdown like uh ontario oh well yeah <laughs> french are more laid back i guess <laughs> yeah um sweet uh before i let you go if you could give one piece of advice to anyone who wants to get started in the hobby or work with animals what would it be um so my best advice uh would be if you want to get started on the hobby or even if you want to just start working with animals first thing i would say to do is like volunteer uh your time and um at anywhere that has animals to just sort of get your foot in the door and start getting the experience and knowledge that you need and um, keep working your way up from there you know get all the experience you can from wherever it is you need um and if you work really hard eventually you know it'll show and people will see that you know you're serious about this and that this means a lot to you because for me personally um reptile keeping and animals they mean like it's kind of like my lifeline in a way like if i didn't have these i i feel like i just wouldn't be here <laughs> no 100 uh, it, it's the passion um, but volunteer, get to know people, don't be discouraged by people that talk down to you in a condescending matter, and don't fight with them either, okay? Just just let them have their power trip, you know, take their advice, but, you know, just don't argue or pay them no mind. The people that actually care and want to educate you will make you want to learn more and make you feel good about learning, not make you feel stupid and bad about it. So don't, don't be discouraged by those people because I know those people really discouraged me in the beginning. Awesome. Well, Red or Natasha, uh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much for coming on. It was incredible. Uh, can you please let everybody know where they can find you? Yeah, well, thanks for having me on a bunch. And for sure. Everybody, you can find me mostly on Instagram and YouTube at Red Boniverse. 
one word. Um, I'm sure you'll have it somewhere where people can. I'll put it in the, yeah, I'll put it in the show notes for sure. But yeah, mostly those are my two social medias that I usually hop between Instagram and YouTube. So uh, just keep an eye on those two and you'll keep up with me. Awesome. And uh, I might have to have you on again just so we can go over this whole traveling zookeeper thing because I'm still mind blown. Um, But yes, thank you very much. Yeah, no, that'd be so much fun to do another interview again if you told me down. But thanks so much again for having this. And I'm sorry if I went over time. No, no, not at all. I I just didn't want to take up any more of your time. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Thank you very much. All right. Have a great evening. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Thank you all for tuning in to episode number two of Daffy's Roundtable. I'll leave all the pictures that we talked about in the podcast in the show notes, as well as uh, all of Red's social media. Follow me as well on Daffy's Reptiles Everywhere, and see you all next time. Thank you.